Over the next month, members of fellowship will have the opportunity to nominate new elders to our elder board. In our church governance structure, the elder board is made up of godly men who make critical and significant decisions on behalf of our church body. We are not a church with elders. We are a church led by elders. The nomination and recognition process are very important to the health of our church family. And we ask that you enter into this season prayerfully. Here is what we are asking members of fellowship to do. First, please pray for the elder nomination process and discern whether you should nominate someone to the office of elder. Second, if you do have a nomination, please visit fellowshipnwa.org forward slash elder nomination and complete the online form. Read the accompanying document entitled Qualifications of an Elder before making your nomination. Or if you prefer a paper nomination form, you may pick one up at the information desk located in the worship center foyer at each campus. The nomination form will be attached to the qualification of an elder document. Please mail paper nominations to the church office on the Rogers campus to the attention of the elders. The deadline for making a nomination is December 22nd. Please pray for your elders as we initiate the recognition of new elders. Finally, we would like to thank John Dyer and Doug Walker for their many years of faithful service as elders. They have done a phenomenal job of representing you and the Lord well during their tenure. When you see them, thank them for their service and thank you for your participation and help. The gift has become an opportunity for us to give back to God during the season of Advent and Christmas. Our fellowship family has developed a culture of generosity, believing that through the leadership of the Holy Spirit and in obedience to God, our resources can be used to make a difference locally, regionally, and globally. Last year, the people of fellowship gave over $600,000 to the gift which was prayerfully dispersed by the elders to many worthy ministry causes. Throughout the month of December, you will once again have the opportunity to express generosity and gratitude through the gift. Your participation allows our elders to invest strategically in ministries all over the world, potentially including Fellowship Bentonville. You can make your donation online or through special gift envelopes available as you exit our worship centers. Thank you for your continued generosity and the difference you are making in the lives of so many. Good morning, everybody. How was Thanksgiving? Great. Hearing some greats? Good, good. It's good to hear. Uh, just, just by my curiosity here, uh, just inter help me here, interact with me here. Um, I'm assuming that pecan and pumpkin are staples at, the, uh, at most of the Thanksgivings here. I'm pretty sure I've probably consumed at least a pie and a half at this point since Thursday. But what I'm curious about is, what is that third, that third dessert that might show up at some, is there some kind of strawberry thing 
or so let me just do let's do a show of hands you all have masks on so I can't tell what you're even saying or thinking right now raise your hand and kids help me out here pecan and pumpkin I'm assuming are staples how many of you had some kind of apple pie at Thanksgiving okay so not that many this is the south okay uh, how about some kind of strawberry or cherry situation okay all right uh, what about some sort of uh, chocolate pie or something a handful what am I mi- what else is there? Did you say okra? Oh, coconut. Okra is not a dessert. Okay, coconut. And what was the one back there? Ooh. That doesn't sound all that Thanksgiving-y, but that sounds delicious. I might pick one up today for me because I need more pie right now. Uh, okay, that's helpful. Thank you. Anything else that I'm missing? All right. Thank you for indulging my curiosity there. Hey, uh, real fast, uh, the gift is a really awesome opportunity that we have as a church to support and help out ministries literally all over the world. So consider uh, taking part in the gift. Uh, What we're doing now is we are turning the calendar to Advent. Advent is a Christian calendar. It's part of the Christian calendar. It actually begins the Christian calendar, and it dates back to we think somewhere in the 400s A.D. So Christians have been celebrating Advent, the Advent season, for 1,600 years, give or take. And it's a really exciting season. It literally means coming or the presence of the King. And we have a couple ways you can participate in Advent this year. You can see them up here on the screen. Uh, The first is you can receive a daily Advent devotional. That'll just come straight to your email, and you can check that out right there. We also have some uh, Advent family uh, devos and things you can do as a family, and you can grab those on your way out today. We'd love to participate as families in celebrating the arrival, the coming of our King. And the way that we're going to do that here on Sunday morning over these next four weeks is we're going to light the candles like we do. We're going to sing Christmas songs and celebrate like we do, but we're going to look at a particular piece, a particular poem in the Old Testament. It's going to be Isaiah chapter 40 to 55. A lot of the New Testament writers were steeped in Isaiah 40 to 55, and so we're going to thread the themes of hope, peace, joy, and love through Isaiah 40 to 55 over these next four weeks in anticipation of Christmas Day. And so uh, it might help us then to get a little bit of context like what in the world's going on in Isaiah 40 to 55. And so just to give you some of that context, uh, here's what's going on in Isaiah 40 to 55. Isaiah is writing in about the 700s BC. He's a prophet of Israel, and here's what he's attempting to say. For your idolatry, Israel, you will go into exile. That's the first half of the book. The second half of the book is this. When you find yourself in exile, And the darkness of exile hovers around you. And the pain of being sent out of your homeland, then this is the message. Hope is coming. Your king has not forgot you. The creator God, your God, has not abandoned you. He has made promises to you, and he will deliver on those promises. And so we're going to thread that message of hope, peace, joy, and love over these next for weeks, looking at these prophecies in anticipation of the coming of the king to liberate his people. I don't know about you, uh, it's been, a, it's been a quite a year, 2020, and I think for some of us, the feeling, we might be able to relate to what some of these, uh, these people in exile are feeling. There's uncertainty and confusion and fear and anxiety, and the message of Isaiah 40 to 55 is the king is coming. He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't forgot you. 
And so in light of that, uh, this morning, we're gonna begin the Advent season by lighting the candle of hope. Not something that we wish for, but something that we wait for with expectancy. And what we're gonna do these next four week is we're gonna, weeks is we're gonna have a, uh, just a dramatic reading that's gonna try to put us in the shoes of the people back in exile. And so we're gonna do that after we light the candle. But this morning, in celebration that comfort has come, we light the Advent candle of hope and we celebrate together that we have hope in the coming of our King. How did it come to this? How did we let things get this bad? Generation after generation, we failed to see that our God loved us and had our best in mind. We forgot the promises we made to our God and we ran into the arms of other gods placed all our hopes and our future in their hands. But it left us empty, exiled, broken, and hopeless. In the darkness, though, a soft voice gently speaks comfort comfort my people could it be it can't be after all these years has Yahweh returned to rescue us the messengers proclaim louder make way for the Lord clear a path your God is coming and he will raise up the broken and bring low the proud. He is coming quickly. This pervasive darkness that surrounds us has been punctured by approaching light. Hope springs forth. Hope that had been all but lost. Hope that now at last our God will save us. Hope that is worth celebrating. Hope that is worth seeing.
He's with us, and he has been with us, and will continue to be with us. We have hope in this season because of that. Wherever we find ourselves this morning, we can be reminded of Emmanuel. That means God is with us in whatever situation of life that we're in. I want you to hear these words from Isaiah chapter 9. It says, for us, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So can we stand together? Let's stand together and sing this this morning. Oh, holy night.
The people walking in darkness. Israel walked in darkness. They walked in darkness for hundreds of years. God had delivered them from bondage in Egypt. He guided him through the wilderness, a cloud by day, and a pillar of fire by night. He loved them. 
his chosen people. And he tolerated their complaining and their insolence. Even after they entered the land, he had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They still disobeyed over and over again. So he sent prophets to warn them of his coming wrath. Starting with Isaiah and Jeremiah, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah. For over 300 years, they warned them of the wrath to come. they still wouldn't listen. And so in the 8th century B.C., the Assyrians descended and they conquered the northern kingdom, carried them away. And then in the 6th century B.C., the Babylonians followed the Fertile Crescent and came in like locusts. And in three incursions, they conquered the southern kingdom, Judah. And Israel and Judah, the children of Israel, were decimated. The people walked in darkness and without hope. Just like God had warned them in the book of Leviticus, he vomited them out of the land because of their disobedience. Walking in darkness can be a frightening and foreboding experience. But these words taken from Isaiah do not end there. Let's look at the rest of the verse. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You see, with God, no matter how dark the night, there is always, always hope. And so as Garland mentioned earlier, our passage for today is in Isaiah chapter 40. And so let's read our passage together. Isaiah 40 verses 1 through 11. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. 
Every valley shall be raised up and every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level and the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our Lord endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. Chapter 40 introduces another major division in the book of Isaiah. There are three major divisions. Verses or chapters 1 through 39 talk about the Assyrian invasion that we talked about just a moment ago when the Assyrians came down and invaded the northern kingdom. Chapters 40 through 55 talk about the southern kingdom and how the Babylonians came and conquered them. The conclusion of which was 586 B.C. when they basically leveled Jerusalem. And then the last section, 56 through 66, talk about the post-exile time when Israel would come home. A few years ago, Mark Bailey and I were in Israel, and we uh, had a few days in between groups. We were there for a month all together, and so we had three or four days. And One day, we decided we would go to the Israel Museum together because they had a special exhibit on Herod the Great. They had found Herod the Great's sarcophagus. And we're revealing it for the first time. They had a lot of other neat exhibits there around Herod the Great. Herod the Great was a terrible person, but he was a magnificent builder, an architect. Those of you who've been to Israel, you've seen the ruins of some of his work. It's magnificent. He was an evil man, but, but all the things they brought together from Herodium that they had excavated were pretty interesting to see. And so here Mark Bailey and I were in the room where they had the sarcophagus. It was the middle of the week and no one else was there. And the room was darkened and there was a light shining down on the sarcophagus and we were both standing there with our phones out taking pictures, no flash, but pictures and, and video. And there we were in the silence alone, or so we thought. And all of a sudden, someone walked up and slapped me in the back of the head. I mean, he just slapped me. I hadn't been slapped like that since my mother had done that. 
just slapped me in the back of the head. And I turned around to see who had slapped me. And it was a little Jewish man there saying, no photos, no photos. And I looked over at Bailey and pointed at him. And he's looking for a place to stuff his phone to get rid of it. And then we went over in, this, in the same area to the Shrine of the Book. It's a place in Israel where they keep the Dead Sea Scrolls. At least many of them are there. If you're not familiar with the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, in 1947, a young shepherd boy in the area near Qumran, where the scribes, uh, the Essenes, had gone to copy the scriptures, this little shepherd boy was in a cave on a hillside, and he threw a rock, and he heard something break. And went back there, and they found all these incredible scrolls. And it's been an unbelievable find, not only for Christianity, but for uh, the Jews in transcribing their Hebrew Bible. And in the middle of that room, in the middle of the room there at the shrine of the book is the Isaiah scroll. The Isaiah scroll was found almost all intact. Unbelievable find. And there are those who think that there was more than one writer for Isaiah. That at chapter 40, a new writer comes along. Now, I have trouble buying into that because Jesus quoted Isaiah after chapter 40, and he said Isaiah, so it's a little difficult for me to think that there was another writer. But Mark in being the president of Dallas Seminary, he, he wanted to see if there in the Isaiah scroll there was any distinction at chapter 40, if there was any notation that there was a different writer or anything like this. And so we got where we thought it was pretty close to the beginning of chapter 40, and he, he asked a young Hebrew girl, to, to he said, could you read this, please? And she said, I can't read that stuff. But we were able to find it, and there was no change, no, no markings or anything to indicate that there was another writer at that place. If you ever get the chance to go to Israel, be sure you go to the shrine of the book so you can see that Isaiah scroll because you, as you study Isaiah, you think about those words written down between the third century B.C. and the first century B.C. and recorded for us by men in darkened rooms with no glasses, no glasses back then, with, with crude instruments to write with and how they would copy the scriptures so that we might have them later on. It's pretty incredible. But we're going to look at chapter 40, verses 1 through 11, and, and here's how it breaks down. You're familiar with this passage. In verses 1 and 2, it tells us to be comfortable as we look at the pardon of God, to be prepared because of the providence of God, to be assured because of the promise of God. And then to be at rest. We can experience God's peace. Now, do we need those words in this season? Yes, we do. I had a friend tell me the other day that, that, that he knew someone who told him that, he said, I go to bed mad and I wake up mad. You know, that's no place for us to be right now, but that's where a lot of people are. They're frustrated with what's going on in our world. And we can't seem to get out of it. It's just, it's just frustrating to us. I had a church pastor call me the other day, and he said, I don't know what to do. 
He said, people are leaving my church. Some of, some of it's over masks. Some don't want to wear masks, and some do want to wear masks. And some are mad because we're having church, and, and, and some are mad because we're not having enough people in church. And, and they're saying they're going to leave because of that. And I just want to say, come on, people. We've got bigger things to worry about. Our mission and vision says regardless of our circumstances, we're to be reaching the world. And do we have a better time when people have lost hope to tell them that there is hope? There is hope in Christ. We prayed for revival. It's something that the elders gave us over a year ago. Praying for revival in our land, that we would come face to face with our mortality and look at everything that's happened. It's a time for us to step in and say, there's hope. Just like Isaiah did in the middle of the darkness to say to the world, there is hope. In Christ, there is hope. There's always hope in him. Now, why do we get excited about this passage that's written to the children of Israel? It's because when Jesus came, we Gentiles got invited to the party. The door was opened for us to come in. And so that's why we get excited as we read these verses. You know, we've had a thread running through services lately about hope. And so I was eager to get to this day when on, on this first day of Advent, we light the prophecy candle of hope. Uh, Nick Rowland said this a few weeks ago. If we could bring that quote up. He said, hope is not what we wish for. Hope is what we wait for. And I think I heard Garland say that in a service here. It's something... That would be a good quote to just write in your Bible. In the service last week, I asked Nick, I said, was that original with you? And he said, I think so. But Garland may have said the same thing. I don't know. Don't know who wrote it. But hope is not something we wish for. Hope is what we wait for. And then Mark Schatzman said in another service, Mark is another one of our pastors, tomorrow's hope motivates today's faithfulness. What we see coming in the future should motivate us to be faithful today. Love God, love others, make disciples. That's taking our vision and mission and breaking it down. But that's what we're to do right now. It's to love God, love others, make disciples. Tell people about Jesus. A young lady was in my office talking to me about something the other day. It was not on the subject of spiritual things. But before she left my office, I just asked her about her relationship. She told me she believed in God. And I thought, well, there's more there. So it was an opportunity to talk about Christ and all he'd done for us. And she said, I really need that. You see, it's just taking the opportunity when you have interactions with other people to see if they have a relationship with Christ, to see if they have that assurance. And don't be afraid of those spiritual conversations. And before she left that office, she had made a profession of faith to follow Christ as her Savior. Verses 1 through 11, as we examine them, you're going to see three heavenly messengers making a statement to the children of Israel. So let's look at it closer. The first messenger in verses 1 and 2 calls upon others to comfort the exiles because their time of distress and hard service will end. He says, comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. It's repeated for emphasis. And this is all fulfilled in the birth of Christ. 
Verse 2, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, he's talking to the exiles, those who have been taken out of the land. From 586 to 538 B.C., they were exiled from the land. Speak this to the exiles. And proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Double may mean the equivalent of or enough. Enough. The second messenger in, in, in verses 3 through 5. It says, a voice calling. In the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The voice heard in the wilderness calling the people to get their hearts ready for the coming of the Messiah, the deliverer, the strong deliverer from a distant land. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, and the rough ground shall become level and the rugged places plain. If you've ever Listen to Handel's Messiah. You're familiar with these words. Every valley, comfort ye my people. 1741, this was a part of Handel's Messiah in, the, in part one. In other words, he's saying, make a clear path. You raise the valleys, you lower the mountain, you make everything a plain when the dignitary comes to visit. In other words, he's saying, roll out the red carpet. Your deliverer is coming. Make a highway for your God. And I wish I had time to take you to Luke chapter 3, where Dr. Luke repeated this prophecy concerning the ministry of John the Baptist. In verse 5, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That declarative statement, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Count on it, take it to the bank. The glory of the Lord is going to be revealed in Christ Jesus. It's a divine oath and it's a new day. And Isaiah's tone is now optimistic where in the first 39 chapters he was pessimistic. Now he's optimistic about the future. And he declares to them that their hard times will come to an end. And in verse 6, the third messenger guarantees the vision. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? He said, all people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. These verses remind us of our frailty that we're a mere breath. And without God, we have no hope at all. Verse 8, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but underline this, but the word of our God endures forever. The word of our God endures forever. He, He describes the contrast between us and God. We fade and fall, but his word endures forever. And Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that word. Remember John chapter 1, verse 1? In the beginning was what? The Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He is the Word. And that brings a whole new meaning when you read 
The word of our God endures forever because Jesus is the word. We have the beautiful vantage point of seeing all this fulfilled as we read what has been written by those ancient writers. The final call by Isaiah is for all of Zion to join the message of the heavenly heralds and spread the word that this God keeps his promises. Our God keeps his promises. You go all the way back to Genesis and see the promise that he made to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. And even though Israel was disobedient, our God keeps his promises. He says, you who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. Go to the highest place where everyone can see and hear your message of hope. Assyria will be gone. Babylon will be gone. It's going to be a new day. So go up on the mountain and tell it. The, the Christmas song, go tell it on the mountain. That's it right there. Go up and declare it. We have hope for the future. It's a new day. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. For people who are wandering in darkness, that's something they can hold on to. It's just like during these difficult times for you and me. Or the difficult days that may come for you and your family. There's something that you can hang on to. And that's the hope we have in the promises of God. What a beautiful picture. A beautiful picture. See, verse 10, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock and now he gets tender. I hope you'll go back and read Psalm 23. And remember that he uses the beautiful illustration of a shepherd right here. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. And he gently leads those that have young. The essence of the message is, here is your God. He's here. He's here. Our loving Messiah is coming. And this foreshadows the message of the angels to those shepherds on that Judean hillside. For behold, I bring you good tidings, good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Who is he? He is Messiah. Messiah. He is Christ, the Lord. Well, we need this hope that Isaiah is speaking to, speaking of. We need to cling to that hope. We don't need to just stand around waiting for it because like Mark Schatzman said in his statement, that 
hope makes a difference in our faithfulness and obedience today. The angels, the, the angel came to the men of Galilee as Jesus had ascended into heaven. You remember what he said to them? Men of Galilee, why aren't you standing here looking to the sky? For this same Jesus who ascended will so return. Therefore, basically he's saying get to work. You've got work to do. Don't just be standing around looking up into the sky. You know, we got to be cognizant of this. This old world is not getting better and better. Oh, we may have a reprieve for a year or two, a decade, but the scriptures are clear. This world is not going to get better and better. As a matter of fact, we will come to the point where Jesus said in Luke 17, as it was in the days of Lot, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man is revealed. And we know that in those days, as we look back in the Scriptures, as it was in the days of Lot and Noah, there was chaos everywhere. Sin was rampant. So amidst all of this, we celebrate Advent. As the prophecy candle of hope was lighted. Over 30 years ago, as we were a young church, I was looking for us to do something creative at Christmas. And I wasn't familiar with Advent. I didn't know what it meant, and so I did a lot of reading on it. It was the coming. He's coming. He said he would come, and he did. And he's promised he will come again, and he will. And so that's what Advent was all about, is keeping Christ over the month preceding Christmas to lead us to that time where we would keep Christ at the very center of Christmas. And so today, not only here at church, but also in your homes, I hope you and your family will light a candle of hope and remember that he's coming. Remember that he's coming to redeem us. And he'll be revealed and we will be with him forever. So what's the ride home for us today? First of all, to be comforted in hope. His pardon is sure. Even in our disobedience, it's not what, it's not what we have done, but what Jesus has done for us. Be prepared in hope. His divine providence has secured our future. It's locked up. You don't have to wonder. God, God has bought our future. Be assured in hope. His promises are sealed by the word, Jesus. So rest assured in the hope of Christ. And then be at rest in hope. His shepherd heart will bring us peace. 
So take a big breath and sigh because of what God has done. Everything's going to be all right. Isaiah also promised us that there will come a day when a little child will lead them. Our God keeps his promises. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion. Hear all of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. Hear all of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. We have good news to share. And like the scripture says, we're going to lift it up, we're going to shout it out. So would you all stand up with me and sing this?
is Lily. Come on over here. Yesterday, she and her twin sister Emma turned nine, so it's been a big weekend at our house. But three years ago, as we approached Advent in our home, just after her sixth birthday, we talked a lot at dinner about Jesus, right, Lily? And we talked very specifically about how Jesus was different than all the other Christmas stories that we are excited about and watch on TV. And Jesus was a real baby in a real manger, in a real home, lived a real life, the life that we couldn't live. And then he died a real death, the death we all deserved so that we wouldn't have to. And then he rose again to provide forgiveness of sins and victory for us. And we talked really specifically about that and invited Lily and Emma to accept that when they were ready. And then we prayed and we waited. And on December 28, 2017, a few days after Christmas, I woke up to a tap on my shoulder next to my bed. And it was Lily. I said, Daddy, can we talk to Jesus about forgiving my sins? I said, of course. And that was the day she accepted Jesus. Over the last few months, we've talked a lot about getting baptized and making a public proclamation that she wants to follow Jesus all the days of her life. And so, Lily, is it your story, your testimony, that you've accepted Jesus and you want to follow him all the days of your life? Yes. As a result of that profession of faith, as my daughter and my sister in Christ, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life.
gives the glory and all the honor and for our hope in Jesus this season and every day. Fellowship family, we love you. If you need prayer this morning, to my left, to your right, through these doors, we'd love to pray with you this morning. May we go this week and keep our eyes on the King who brings hope, who gives us hope. God bless you. See you next week.